It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Jason Chaffetz. I'm Katie Pavlich. I'm Steve Ducey. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Wednesday, July 6th, 2022. I'm Dave Anthony. Another mass shooting, another round of questions on how to prevent someone who posts about violence online from becoming violent. You see it all the time where people are getting knocked off the social media because of their views. Well, that same type of technology can be used to try to keep people from committing acts by notifying those who have the ability to do something about it. I'm Alex Hogan. The U.S. is banning the sale of all products sold by e-cigarette company Juul. The reason why the vaping products are attractive is because they, if you look at the pharmacokinetics of some of these vaping products, Juul included, they really replicate the the sort of experience of smoking. I'm Liz Peek. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. It's yet another place people thought was safe. But like a supermarket in Buffalo, New York, or a school in Uvalde, Texas, the 4th of July parade in Highland Park, Illinois, was not. We heard a few faint distant pops, which all of us believe that were just, you know, fireworks. Instead, it was gunfire. Everyone kept screaming, shooter, run, run, run. And the shots kept coming. Bang, bang, bang. And you kept hearing the shots go off and off and off. It must have lasted about two minutes. We saw people falling, people screaming. Everybody was running inside, and then we started noticing how many people were bloody. In the end... Seven people were killed. More than 30 were wounded by a gunman. Dressed in woman's clothing, and investigators do believe he did this to conceal his facial tattoos and his identity and help him during the escape uh, with the other people who were fleeing the chaos. The suspect, captured and arrested hours later, is Robert Cremo III. During the attack, we believe that Cremo fired more than 70 rounds from this rifle into the crowd of innocent people. Chris Cavelli with the Lake County Major Crimes Task Force says that gun was purchased legally and the attack had been planned for weeks. At this point, we have not developed a motive from him. They're also pouring over the 21-year-old's social media posts. Some reportedly depicted or advocated violence. What's sad is you look at all the warning signs we see in this and other cases, and you wonder why are we not doing more to try to prevent this from happening? John Yannarelli is a former FBI special agent. Why are people not picking up the phone and calling law enforcement? Why are social media companies not using their algorithms to notify law enforcement about dangerous and nefarious postings? There's a lot that can be done. Of course, the responsibility starts and stops with the actual shooter themselves. They're responsible for their actions for what they did. But we as a society can be doing more to try to get this under control. Yeah, more and more we see we had, of course, what happened in Buffalo, New York. We had what happened in Uvalde, Texas, all recent. And now in this case, more details come out about his being a rapper, supposedly Awake the Rapper was his name. And he had videos on YouTube that have been taken down depicting violence, supposedly like a fictional school shooting. And in another case, like a stick figure 
wanting to attack a crowd with the caption, I need to just do it. It's my destiny. All of that are warning signs that people who see this sort of stuff pick up the phone, call the police. And I can't emphasize enough. You call the cops. It doesn't mean somebody's getting arrested. Frankly, there may not have been a crime that was committed prior to yesterday's shooting. But as a former police officer myself, I've responded to these calls where you go out and talk to an individual and you ask them, do you feel like hurting yourself or somebody else? If they say they do, that gives law enforcement the ability to bring them for psychiatric evaluation. Let doctors have a chat with them, look up their medical profile, and maybe something can be done. You know, I read something where his uncle said, you know what, last time I saw him just the other day, he was on a computer, everything looked normal, quiet guy. But he also said that he was lonely. And and the other thing that he said on that is he's usually on his own. He keeps everything to himself. Do you think the family even knew that he had videos on YouTube? They may not have known, but he probably had people watching and YouTube knew he had videos on YouTube. And from a technological standpoint, I used to work in the FBI cyber division. There are algorithms out there that they can look for acts of violence. Nobody has to be sitting and watching those videos. A computer program will scan through and look for things that can be damaging and dangerous and then use that information to alert authorities. Dave, you see it all the time where people are getting knocked off the social media because of their views. Well, that same type of technology can be used to try to keep people from committing acts by notifying those who have the ability to do something about it. The FBI receives complaints constantly from around the country from concerned citizens. All of them are processed and weeded out to various law enforcement agencies in the right jurisdiction for that department to decide, do we need to follow up? Do we need to talk to this person? And I will tell you many times we decide after the fact, yes, somebody should have talked to this person. Not just YouTube. I want to ask you, since you've been dealing with uh, cyber at the FBI, you clearly know about Discord. Apparently, he was also on Discord, which I've uh, it's an app or a a website or whichever. I'm not sure which. But on it, he was a frequent poster, apparently on a message board that discussed murder and suicide and beheadings. And he posted some videos that I, I assume people would would find alarming. What do you do about that? The exact same thing. Now, Discord is a site where people can post all sorts of things in, you know, basically it could be attacking other people. But that's that whole world of social media where it's the Wild West and people can post anything they want. But at the same time, now you're getting people who are identifying themselves at least electronically If they're not using the real name, there's still a electronic signature that the agency, the FBI and the social media company would know where to go back to. They can contact those people and talk to them again, not necessarily a criminal activity that somebody would be arrested for. But if you gave me the name and said, hey, this individual is posting these terrible things. I'm going to run them through the computer system. I'm going to see if they've been arrested before. I'm going to see if they legally own weapons. All those things go into the collection of what kind of interaction and effect do we want to have to try to prevent this person 
from doing something that could be more damaging. Do you think that all of those people should be looked at? I mean, if, if everyone's chatting and discussing things like this, do they need to be looked at? And how many people are we talking about? Well, those are great questions. And I think the other part of the question is, where do we draw the line? Who do you look at and who do you not look at? And I will be honest, I don't have all the answers here, but this is the conversation we need to be having. Yeah. And there are those who will be a little nervous about the government investigating all their posts online because, you know, hey, I, I, it's a free country. I can I can say what I want. Absolutely. You've got that First Amendment right and you should be able to do that and that should be defended. But at the same time, your First Amendment right doesn't extend to you being able to say, I'm going to commit acts of violence. I'm going to do this. You can say those things, but there's penalties for it when you do it, when you threaten someone and when you carry it out. In the last several shootings that have gotten a lot of attention, Buffalo an 18-year-old suspect who had a lot of hate speech and apparently targeted black people in the supermarket. In Uvalde, you have the dead gunman in the elementary school. People talked about how he was dressing like a school shooter in black. He was carrying around bags of like dead cats. You talked earlier about family members. What should people start doing that they're not doing? Are people afraid of turning a family member in? What should be done? I think the way society is today, a lot of people are just afraid of having conversations and sitting down with kids and talking to them about what's going on and understanding what's happening in their life. The social media makes it so much more complex. All the more reason, not just parents, siblings, aunts and uncles, other family members, be engaged, know what's happening in young people's lives. And if you think that he's quiet, he keeps to himself, make sure you know that that person is doing okay. Not just that he's quiet and suffering in silence. You want to be able to be a resource. And if you can't do it alone, that's when you find resources out there. There are mental health facilities. There are treatment. A lot of times as a cop, I got called. The person didn't get arrested. What they got was referrals of where they can get treatment and the family can get help to help that individual. Last month, President Biden signed a new law with new gun restrictions. Oh, this bill doesn't do everything I want. It does include actions I've long called for that are going to save lives. One provision provides funding for states enacting so-called red flag laws that could keep firearms away from those a court deems a danger to themselves or others, though some Republicans oppose that, fearing it could set a low bar for taking someone's rights away. There's got to be checks and balances with that as well. Now, certainly if somebody is in possession of a weapon, and saying things that lead you to believe they're going to commit acts of violence, but haven't crossed that line yet. We want to prevent those acts of violence. But at the same time, that person has the right to then go in front of an authority, a judge, etc., and show, no, I'm not going to do anything wrong. I am capable of uh, being a responsible gun owner. I want my weapons back. We want to make sure that people in crisis are not going to hurt anyone or themselves. A lot of these situations we see are not the terrible homicides that happened yesterday, but suicides as well. Suicide is essentially homicide turned inward. 
So events like that, those types of red flag laws, they may be part of the solution. But again, you got to have that check and balance because we don't want people to lose their Second Amendment rights and not have them restored when there's actually no problem at all. Should parents be checking their teenagers' devices? There's a, Absolutely. There's a, you know, Absolutely. There's a, lot of, a lot of teenagers, a lot of kids are like, hey, get out of my room, you know? Well, that's great. You know, when my kids were young, I used to check all their devices and I would have other parents who would ask me, well, don't you trust your children? And my answer was always, of course not. I love my kids. They turned out to be wonderful young adults, but I am responsible for making sure they're raised right and they're making good decisions. And it was up to me to make sure all those things were taking place. I would say as parents, You wouldn't let your kids go out late at night and go somewhere unless you knew where they were going, when they were going to be home. Well, the Internet's late at night, 24-7. You're letting your kids get into an environment, interacting with strangers who are inviting them, quote, into their electronic homes. You want to be proactive and know what's happening so that you can be there for your kids to keep them out of trouble, but more importantly, to keep them safe. John Yannarelli, former FBI special agent. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. This is Liz Peek with your Fox News commentary coming up. 480,000 people in the U.S. die each year from cigarette smoking, and that includes secondhand smoke, according to the CDC. To break the habit, or as an alternative, millions of Americans have turned to e-cigarettes. And one of the leading companies now faces a major challenge. The FDA has banned the sale of all products sold by Juul. These products never should have been allowed to come to market. That's the American Lung Association, but the president of the American Vaping Association argues that Juul is a healthier alternative to cigarettes and that the company will appeal any decision. This will allow them to keep their products on the market while that appeal is pending. The major question for regulators is how to create a safe pathway for addicted adults while also trying to reduce the rate of use for combustible tobacco products, meaning flammable substances. Think cigarettes and cigars. It's not the nicotine itself that causes all the death and disease from smoking. It's the combustion. This is Dr. Scott Gottlieb, former FDA commissioner and a senior fellow at AEI. And so if you can transition a lot of current smokers onto non-combustible products, you could probably have a significant public health impact. So the agency has been trying to balance two competing challenges. One is the challenge of trying to advance that vision of reducing use of combustible products while keeping kids from getting initiated on nicotine through those same alternatives. And we saw after we promulgated those policies in 2017, saw a very dramatic rise in the rate of use of e-cigarettes by kids driven largely by Juul. And the concern became that you're going to end up hooking a whole new generation of children onto nicotine, some proportion of which are going to migrate onto combustible products if we don't intervene to take steps to try to reduce the appeal of these products to kids. And so 
we took a series of enforcement actions when I was at FDA against some of the manufacturers that we felt were positioning these products to children, while at the same time trying to implement some regulations that would reduce their appeal to kids. One was the fruity flavors. Others dealt with the way they were sold and marketed. Congress stepped in and raised the age requirements for purchasing tobacco products, recognizing the problem on a very broadly bipartisan basis. Now what you're seeing in the current administration, I think is, you know, a continuation of some of those efforts as well as, you know, the administration extending some of those measures. They have cleared some of the vaping products to remain on the market. And more recently, they made a decision to pull Juul off the market because of very specific problems that they found associated with that particular product, not necessarily the legacy of youth abuse of that product. It was specific manufacturing problems. For example, they felt that it was uh, manufactured in a way that it allowed the leaking of the, um, the vaping liquid where it could become superheated and potentially have some harmful effects. The uh, FDA said in this that it doesn't see clinical information that suggests that there is an immediate risk to using Juul products. So does that mean that the agency thinks that the information provided just isn't factual or that the information provided isn't straightforward enough to alert the public about the possible side effects and addiction? It's probably the latter, that the information was incomplete. They didn't cite any evidence, as you noted, saying that the product itself had risks in excess of what the other products had associated with them. After all, these aren't you know entirely safe products. There are harms associated anytime you're going to be inhaling something like that into your lungs. So what they said with the Juul product was that there were certain problems associated with that device and this leaking that I mentioned, and that the applicant didn't provide sufficient uh, evidence to sort of quell the agency's concerns. And so it, it could be an issue where the company could resubmit more data and potentially get an approval. If you read the application, the denial that FDA issued, it does seem to leave the door open to the possibility that they could file more information with the agency. Now that said, that would take a while. The company's mm-hmm. working on a next generation product that provides Bluetooth tethering to the phone where you can you know, fully age restrict these products. In fact, most of the companies are doing that. And I think by the time they would probably refile, do the studies that the FDA might require and refile, they'll probably be more focused on that next generation product, assuming they can continue as a going concern in the interim. Exactly. Some users of Juul are really against this move, saying that this basically is is taking away a step that they used to walk away from cigarettes. So that's their perspective. And, and do you think that this motion, this move could lead to more of an emphasis on alternatives right now, like gum or patches? You know, potentially. I think that one of the things that I wish that we advanced further when I was at the agency, which we pushed on, but it was challenging to get the drug center to change some of its historical approach to these products was the medicinal nicotine products. You know, one of the things that makes a nicotine replacement product that's sold as an over-the-counter drug attractive to smokers is the speed of the delivery of the nicotine. The reason why cigarettes are so addictive isn't just the high amount of nicotine in them, because after all, you can get a gum or a patch or a lozenge that has a high amount of nicotine in it. Um, it's the speed of the delivery of the nicotine to the brain. That's, that's what gives it mm-hmm. some of its addictive qualities. And so if you can come up with medicinal nicotine products that can offer nicotine 
in a sort of formulation that allows more rapid delivery into the blood, that could be a potentially more attractive product to an adult smoker who's looking to quit combustible tobacco and wants an alternative. So I think that there's a lot of opportunity for that. The reason why the vaping products are attractive is because they, if you look at the pharmacokinetics of some of these vaping products, Juul included, they really replicate the, the sort of experience of smoking in terms of the speed of delivery of nicotine. And so for a smoker, you can replicate a lot of the appeal that you get from smoking in terms of using a combustible cigarette as a nicotine delivery device through a vaping product. And so I think that there's a real opportunity to continue to refine these products and use them as an alternative to smoking. Yeah. And especially since we're talking about these products and the goal of it being child proof as of last year, one out of every nine high schoolers says that they've used one of these products in the last 30 days and one out of every 35 middle schoolers. So this is a huge number in society. So do you think that this is comparable to cigarette usage in the teens back in the 60s and the 70s before cigarettes were really marketed as being unhealthy and unsafe? Look, we've seen overall tobacco use come down among children, and that's the good thing. And we've seen the use of combustible tobacco come down, although we have seen things like dipping go up and cigar use among kids. If you look at the mm -hmm. trends in, in recent years, there's no question. This was always the criticism of the policies aimed at trying to curb teen use of the e-cigarettes, that some proportion of kids who might have chosen to smoke are now using e-cigarettes instead. I think that that's a relatively small proportion, quite frankly. I think it's more likely the case that kids who never would have chosen to use nicotine at all are now being initiated on e-cigarettes. I think that's a higher proportion of what we're seeing among children. And the concern is twofold. Number one, you know, nicotine is not a completely benign substance, even though it's not what causes all the death and disease from smoking. Number two, inhaling anything into your lungs is not healthful. There's going to be some deleterious effect of that over time. So you don't want to use the lung as a drug delivery platform. And the, the third concern is that some proportion of those kids who are getting initiated on nicotine through e-cigarettes are going to migrate onto combustible tobacco. We know that the data shows that, you know, it could be cheaper to smoke and that's why kids choose to do it. And that's the third reason why you don't want to see this big complement of children starting to use e-cigarettes. Yeah, because it's basically just paving the way for the next generation of, of smokers. And, and in trying to combat that and trying to bring down the level of people, the numbers of people who do smoke in the U.S. Uh, what do you think about the marketing and what that does over the course of decades? Like taking a look at the U.K. where I am, in the 1970s, smoking rates were about 50%. And as of 2020, only 13% of the country smokes. And a lot of that is attributed to marketing, specifically the law here that companies have to include very graphic photos of rotting teeth and throat cancer and tumors on their products. And there was the potential of that kind of law being passed in the U.S., but it was struck down. So right now there are warnings on cigarette packs and other products. Do you personally think that more imagery like that would make a difference for not only adults, but also kids that are potentially using these substances? Yeah, I mean, that, that may still go forward. It was held up, it's held up in the courts on First Amendment grounds, but FDA was given the opportunity to sort of reformulate the graphic warnings that would be required on the cigarette packages. And I think that that's still um, moving its way through the regulatory process. It was challenged on First Amendment grounds and whether or not the commercial speech was protected speech and could companies be compelled to have to speak in a certain way. So we'll see where that ends up. I think that the data on the graphic warnings was in some respects 
uh, mix. There was some evidence that showed that it did have an impact on people and did make people more conscious of the unhealthy effects of using combustible tobacco products and other kinds of tobacco products like dip, but maybe that the impact of those kinds of ads wasn't as significant as we perceived. And in terms of where you're going to make your regulatory push and try to advance policies, you might not be getting the most bang for your buck with those kinds of Mm. approaches. But I think that by and large, where you've seen public health authorities pursue, you know, including the FDA when I was running the agency was an all of the above approach. If there was something that you could do that could make people more aware of the unhealthful effects of tobacco use, um, while not curtailing or significantly hampering opportunities for current adult smokers to transition either off of cigarettes or onto things that were um, less harmful, you wanted to pursue those. Well, another effort that the FDA is pursuing to limit smoking in the U.S. is the plan to cut down nicotine levels. So New Zealand right now is the only country that has moved forward with this kind of goal. Do you think that this is feasible in the U.S.? Do you think that the country is is ready and is moving in the direction of more regulation and support for that when it comes to these products? I think it's feasible in the U.S. I think it's a long time horizon to implementing it. Um, And we always knew that, you know, this was first proposed in 2017. It was supported by the Trump administration at the time. But we always knew it was going to take a long time to transition to a framework where you can start to reduce the nicotine levels in the combustible products so that the combustible products can no longer sustain addiction. You know, first of all, you needed to give the industry time to retool. This wasn't something that they could do overnight. And you also needed to get the framework in place that would allow products on the market that would offer an alternative to currently addicted adult smokers. You couldn't just say, you know, we're taking all the combustible nicotine products off the market and this isn't going to be available anymore. Nicotine after all Mm -hmm. is a legal substance. There's adults who want to enjoy it. There's adults who are addicted to it. So we needed to provide those alternatives. And, And that's what you've seen. I think the agency try to do the idea is to make the combustible products less attractive and then open up a pathway for the non-combustible products. And so hopefully over time, you'll migrate more smokers down the continuum of risk onto the non-combustible products and hopefully have a health impact at the same time. Dr. Scott Gottlieb, former FDA commissioner and a senior fellow at AEI. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks a lot. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Liz Peek. What's on your mind? Americans are furious, despondent, and fed up with Joe Biden. The country has gone off the rails and the president seems utterly incapable of fixing what's wrong. The president is causing a series of firsts, including worst presidential approval ratings ever, worst consumer sentiment, worst bond market in modern times, and worst ever small business pessimism about the future. The economy is slumping. High energy prices are raising the cost of everything. And air travel is a disaster. Let's start with the economy. Even as Biden idiotically continues to tout the accomplishments of his economic agenda, our country is sliding into recession. When consumer sentiment hits its worst level ever recorded, 
as the University of Michigan reported occurred in June. It impacts spending, which sure enough, slowed significantly in May. Consumer incomes are not keeping pace with rising prices. As they exhaust their savings, they will retrench further in the months ahead. Consequently, the job market, which has been rock solid, is beginning to fray. The four-week average of new jobless claims is rising and is now at the highest level since December. In the tech sector, companies that had been on a multi-year hiring spee like Meta have suddenly switched gears and announced layoffs. Big retailers like Target or Bed Bath & Beyond that reported disappointing sales and rising inventories will inevitably trim workers as they struggle to rein in higher costs. It isn't just the economy that's heading south. Over one of the busiest travel weekends of the year, airlines crushed holiday plans for many Americans by canceling thousands of flights. Travelers whose flights were canceled could have driven to their destinations instead. Those unlucky souls would have then confronted near $5 per gallon gasoline prices, which their president and his advisors have said was the cost of preserving the quote, world liberal order. At home, Biden has resolutely refused to meet with oil industry executives in order to craft a mutual response to sky-high oil prices. It is a petty gesture of hostility towards one of America's most consequential industries. Biden says he is doing everything possible to lower gasoline prices, but that is not true. Not only has he restricted short-term U.S. oil and gas production, he is moving to reduce output in the years to come as well. Meanwhile, young people in the United States just starting out to build their families and careers are finding that buying a house is more expensive than it has been since 2006. Rising mortgage rates combined with high house prices have led more Americans to rent, pushing rent 17% higher across the country. According to a recent poll, 85% of Americans think our country is headed in the wrong direction. And that's with a robust job market. Yes, things could get worse. This is Liz Peek, Fox News contributor. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox & Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts.